Welcome to Northern Gold, a football podcast from the Evening Express Impressing Journal. Well, I'm Ryan Kryle and joining me today is a bumper crew, four of them in total, Paul Third, Sophie Goodwin, Andy Skinner and Jamie Durant to talk us through the various issues surrounding our various teams across the divisions. But firstly, guys, how are we? Oh, good, good thanks. thanks. Yeah. Good, thank you. Yeah, Grant, thank you very much. Now we'll come to the Ross County Aberdeen big top six showdown this weekend, as well as Inverness's return to action and Co-Rangers Peterhead and Elgin, as always. But I'm sure it comes as no surprise today to learn that we're going to start with Andy Considine's impending departure from Aberdeen, something that has been in the headlines the last couple of days after it was broke and not by the club. Um, was it Tuesday evening, Paul? Am I right in saying that? Tuesday evening? Oh yes, late on Tuesday night. I love those stories. Which was That news was followed on Wednesday, the news being that the Dons had withdrawn an offer of a one-year extension to Andy Considine and the thinking was that the parties were too far apart on what they both wanted from Considine's new deal. Uh, that was followed up on Wednesday by a pretty raging statement from the Dons boss, Jim Goodwin, which gave his side of the story and cited that the Dons had offered a one-year deal. Um, was it reduced terms, Paul? Are we right in saying that? I'm not going to dispute the details divulged by the club okay. in our statement, um, but I think some details have been omitted, yes. Andy Considine asked for 50% more than he was offered. That's a fact, right? Okay. I don't think anyone's disputing that. But what is missing is any mention of how the club's original offer compared to his existing deal. Was the offer a 50% wage cut? Was his counter-offer a willingness to take a 25% cut on what he's currently getting? It won't matter to some people, but it sure is hell matter to Andy Considine, I think. Yes. At um, some point in the negotiations as well, we also understand that it, it stopped being about wages and started being about, well, if these are going to be the wages, can it be two years as opposed to one year the Dons, their own statement, or Goodwin cited in his statement that there had been an offer to get Andy Considine started on the route to coaching with the Youth Academy sides and pay his coaching badges. And Jim Goodwin also talked about the reason it all fell apart was he couldn't give Andy Constantine guarantees over getting a certain amount of game time next season as he looks to improve the Dons and rebuild the Dons following a disappointing season. It's funny, that, I mean, there's so many facets to this. A club will be quite content to sit back and see the fans painting Andy Considine or his agent as being greedy in all of this. But I'm not sure if greed is the correct sentiment given the player had received an offer on reduced terms. But look, we can all agree football isn't like a normal business. In most professions, as you get older, your experience increases your value. Um, but Because, I, I mean, I'm older than Andy Considine. But if I was a 35-year-old with 20 years' experience, I'd regard myself as a, a decent asset to the business. However, a 35-year-old footballer is a depreciating one for a football club. And that's where all the problems have started here. Having said all of that, I think the length of contract, the playing time debate is all a red herring for me. Every manager has tried to replace Andy Considine in his entire career in the first team at Aberdeen. He's fought off the competition, welcomed that challenge every single time. So I don't think Jim Goodwin telling him, look, you're not going to be a regular next season, you'll be a squad player, would have caused him to bat an eyelid. Andy's heard that 
his entire career. But the biggest mistake in all of this, and it's the one that I think is so important today, is why keep it quiet? Transparency, let's put that word out there. It's the one we get all the time from the chairman, Dave Cormack, since he arrived at the club. I think he uses it in every interview he does, to be fair. But that's the biggest irony in all of this. They weren't transparent here. There's clearly bad feeling between the parties involved in terms of how this has been handled. Jim Goodwin feels he and the club have been thrown under a bus by this coming out early. The player feels he's been thrown out and under the same bus with the comment that's come after the fact. But the statement that came out on Wednesday is incredible for a few reasons. Because the club clearly feels it's been put on the back foot by this coming out before they wanted it to. And as a result, they want to give their version of events. But he has a value of himself and a worth that he thinks he is to the club. That's how contract talks go. But what has followed has been a mess and it could have so easily been avoided. That's the crucial bit. I get the fact the club is protecting its position and trying to make him out to be the bad guy, but he feels he's been hard done by as well. And I think that's probably what's led to this story breaking in the first place. It might not be an emotional decision for Jim Goodwin, but it most certainly is for Andy Considine. He's <laughs> it's become emotional 20- now, yes. Uh, but he's been there for 20 years. A model pro... Every manager has sung his praises. His new manager was singing his praises four weeks ago, saying how much he was looking forward to working with him. I mean, the guy has followed in his father's footsteps in playing for the team he supports. Now, let, let, let's wind this back a wee bit. If you're being told you're being binned, right, that's going to sting after the amount of time you've, you've spent. And to anyone listening to this podcast today, I would ask them one question. If you had worked somewhere for 20 years and then being told, your contract's not being renewed, and it, the offer's off the table, are you going to go home and keep quiet about it? No. And that should have been, you, for, that should have been foreseen by, by the club. I don't think there's any denying that, and that, that is probably what has led to this mess. Jamie? If you look at the way Andy Considine's career has gone, this, the way this has played out has almost been an antithesis to that, because Andy's career is normally he's not normally gone about things with a minimum amount of fuss he's been consistent and reliable you know what you get out of him whereas this these last few days have just been full of kind of chaos and drama which is not what you what you expect out of kind of Andy Considine and as Paul kind of rightly says you one side may be able to take the emotion out of it and there's a there's an argument for that when you're looking at it from a business perspective but when you can also kind of see Andy's side of things where he feels hard done by in the way that this is all kind of played out or how he's been how he's been kind of treated um it's a situation that reflects well on nobody nobody comes out of this a winner Andy Considine doesn't come out of this a winner and the club doesn't come out of this a winner because you've got elements of the fan base that maybe think and that are now maybe thinking slightly ill towards Andy Considine and his agent, that they may, he's maybe wanting to get more out of the club than they feel he's worth. But then the club are also going to look bad out of it because a club legend, let's, let's not put it any other way, a club legend is being kind of shown the door. And it's a circumstance that should have been dealt with behind closed doors, ideally, and they should have come to a better solution. And it should have been handled better on both sides because there's only... Like there's no winners here. Everyone's a loser. Like you know, nobody comes out of this situation looking good. And it's it's something that's going to maybe hang over the 
the kind of the remaining six games of the season as well, because there's going to be questions about will Andy get the will Andy get the the send off that he deserves? Do the how will they look for the club if they need to turn to him? If they have a situation at centre half where one of the either David Bates or Declan Gallagher gets injured and they're going to need to turn to a centre half to to win some games before the end of the season, again, does that put anybody in a difficult position? It's it's got messy, it's got ugly, and ultimately nobody is in a position that they want to be in. The respectful way to handle this, and it's easy, old Captain Hindsight, I've used that phrase for a second week running. Monday morning quarterback. To, yeah. <laughs> the respectful way to handle this is tell the player the contract's been withdrawn and then put your statement out announcing it straight away. Nothing has been gained at all by trying to keep it quiet until today, which the club has said was their intent and I'm going to use the word again by not being transparent it's created this mess yeah Wednesday should have been a day where they're announcing their new sponsor instead all of that goodwill has been lost because they've tried to hold off on the announcement that the longest serving player in this club is leaving I'm sure the new shirt sponsor is absolutely thrilled with how Wednesday went if they don't yeah. Didn't want a distraction from the county game as well. And let's let's not forget, we haven't even got on to the fact they've got their biggest game of the season coming up on Saturday. If they didn't want a distraction from that game, why not wait till next Monday to tell Andy Considine he's leaving? When you know what half of the league you're going to be in, you know what you're playing for. When you sign a player or extend a contract or even tell someone they're leaving the club, you are in control right there and then. But with every passing hour, that control diminishes. I'll repeat what I said at the start today. Football is not like a normal business. If Aberdeen have learned one lesson this week, it's the value of putting information out as soon as possible. We've got the same challenges every day in our line of work. We can sometimes sit and go, I've got this story to myself. I'm going to hold on to it for another day. Only to see it appear somewhere else. Happens all the time. And it certainly happens with more frequency at a football club than in any other line of work. And if Aberdeen have not realised that, then they're going to get hit time and time again. It's only going to continue. If you've enjoyed uh, Paul Third's lecture on PR strategy today, uh, you can sign up to his full 12-week course. I get what you're saying. And as I said earlier, it has been um, a messy a messy situation, to say the least, uh, from a PR strategy. And just in case the listeners aren't aware, the Texo situation you're referring to was the club's new shirt sponsor who... We understand have actually agreed uh, the largest ever per season shirt sponsorship deal that the Dons have had. But yes, overshadowed massively by the Considine situation. And I mean, it should be said that I know we've been trying not to be cold and objective over this, but you need to be cold and objective a little bit that Jim Goodwin, after what has been a disappointing season and will, even if the Dons get in the top six, it's still a disappointing season because the Dons, with their budget, shouldn't be struggling into the top six with their final pre-split game against Ross County. That just shouldn't be happening. And Jim Goodwin's got to look at, and appears to have already assessed basically his entire squad and decided who he wants to keep and who he's going to get rid of and potentially who he's targeting to bring in as well. And he's probably looking at Andy Considine. And I understand why he would think that maybe he wants to keep Considine around but offer him reduced terms and you know maybe use that extra remaining money to help maybe convince somebody else to come to the club or something. And I understand the sentimental reason to give Andy Constantine another deal um, for another year on the same wages and the people who would think that that was the best approach. However, 
Andy Constantine, of course, isn't the only question over the defence at Aberdeen, hanging about over the last few days following the 2-2 draw at Dundee and the defending in that game in particular. Uh, last weekend, there were questions about Joe Lewis, his future at the club. Joe Lewis has still got two years in his deals. So there's no chance he's leaving this summer, I wouldn't think. But, Paul, are we expecting Jim Goodwin to follow through on rumours, speculation that there'll be another uh, option at number one coming into the club in the off-season? There's going to be a, a fresh challenge for the goalkeeper position, for sure. I, who Who's going to be challenging who? I have no confidence in, in stating yeah. names at this point. Whether it's Joe Lewis and Gary Woods are still there or moved on. Whether Jack Alwick's coming in, because all signs are pointing to him going to Cardiff. But it's clearly, given the fact that Stephen Glass was also looking at uh, Xander Clark at St Johnston at one point, that whichever manager has been at Petrodia this season... They've both identified that the goalkeeper is a, a position they need to strengthen and have more competition for. So changes are coming. How ex- the extent of them, I don't know. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Willie Miller was saying that it's almost like trial and error, but Jim Goodwin and probably Stephen Glass before him with taking out the team for a bit, they just need to find whatever it is, the key, the spark, that if Joe Lewis is capable of getting back to the previously reliable level every single week that earns Aberdeen more points over the course of the season than it costs them there's got to be some key some whether it's it's not dropping him clearly and getting him back in the team but it might be getting that really tough competition in to play him off against to try and you know get him back to that top level there's that I think that the things that I think are missing between the goalkeeper and the back line at Pitaudry is trust confidence and an understanding of what everybody else is doing and that's what's leading to the issues that we saw at Dens Park if if there was a game that summed up Aberdeen's season perfectly it was Saturday Joe Lewis didn't cover himself in glory at Dens Park we have to say that but it's just it's the lack of structure I think and I remember Jim Goodwin coming in first game in charge at Motherwell he'd been there a few hours to be fair to him and he said look the defence I think that can be sorted in a, in a week or two. Well, we're still waiting for a clean sheet. So it's not clearly not going to be sorted in a week or two. In the irony, all of this is being still staring us all in the face in a week where <laughs> Mr Aberdeen, let's call him that, has been sitting on a bench the last two weeks. Defensive it's, organiser, it's, yes. Yep. Potentially. I, I, think, I think Aberdeen, what they're craving at the minute is some stability because we've already had with McInnes leaving last year and Stephen Glass coming in and the changes that Stephen Glass wanted to make, we've already had a period of significant change. But then obviously we've had Stephen Glass go, we've had Jim Goodwin come in, we've then had the the, the player coach captain that came in, Scott Brown, leave. We've then had uh, Gordon Marshall, the goalkeeping coach, and Adam Stokes, the kind of head of sports science and medical services leave as well. And they'd been kind of fairly regular, consistent figures at Petaudry for the last however many years. And now you're talking Andy Considine going. Now you're talking Joe Lewis's position being supposedly under threat. There's a lot of seismic changes going on here. And I don't know whether the thinking is from Jim Goodwin that these changes need to be made at some point. Let's get them all done straight away and then have a settling off period. Or... To me, it, it seems like you need a settling period. You need a period of stability to try and sort out what you're doing rather than kind of just kind of trying to make change after change after change after change. They may need making, but maybe do it incrementally, not kind of try and throw everything at the wall at the minute and hope that 
something sticks. You're, you're right. I mean, it's, it's been a bold strategy to come in, and I think he's been in, what, six weeks, and we're seeing a myriad of changes happening, and we're not even at the end of the season yet. And all, all these guys are moving, especially players. Guys are, are, are moving out or being told you're, you're done before the final ball's been kicked and you know what you're actually playing for and whether you're going to need these people in the last six games. It's it's interesting times. I've, I haven't seen it like this at Pitaudry for, for a long, long while. When you look at the glass rain as well, I suppose during that we talked often enough about maybe, you know, I'm coming in as a coach from Atlanta and start, starting off in that sort of like this view of him as kind of inexperienced and maybe lacking that bit of authority and Goodwin for you know for all we've discussed that maybe has gone wrong in the last week has at least come in and shown that like you know he is going to be the boss and he is the one that's coming in and making the decisions and willing to you know you know live or die by those decisions uh, obviously it would be a big boost for him if the Dons could make it in the top six this weekend, a couple of things have to go their way. First of all, Hibs need to lose at Tynecastle or not win at Tynecastle, I believe is the situation, which to me is more likely or feels more likely at the moment, not to be a pessimist, than Aberdeen managing to beat Ross County at Pataudry. We're going to combine the sections here, I think. Andy, I'll let you come in here. Ross County obviously coming in this game full of confidence. They've been on a great run at home, but I mean, generally... They're a team that score a lot of goals. They maybe also have conceded a lot of goals, but a lot of that is, um, you know, muddied by how slow their start was for various reasons at the start of the campaign. But how do you see this one going this weekend between Aberdeen and Ross County? Because Ross County obviously have top six aspirations of their own still. Yeah, and I I look at Ross County as being in a, a psychologically a, a really good place going into this one, just purely because of the the opera trajectory that they're they're on and have been on for some time now um obviously the the slow start they had to the season is well covered and there's you know that's long in the past now they've they've kind of strung consistency together um over a, a long period of time and um you know they've managed to earn the right to to go into this sort of final day shootout um with you know a, a very high chance of or a, a very decent chance of um, of, of coming out into the, the top six there, there's also just that one point of a difference gives them an extra window of opportunity because if Dundee United uh, lose the derby against Dundee by a, a couple of goals and, and County do the business at Pataudry then uh, United all of a sudden are, are catchable so um, you know there are a few things that are playing in the Staggies favour going into this one um, I think they're enjoying being in this position where they've got a chance because you know for a, a good while it didn't look as if um, this was going to be a realistic target for them. It was maybe something in the background that they they hoped for, but just as the weeks have gone on, they've they've managed to muscle themselves into a uh, you know a great position. And I, I think given the the expectation upon Aberdeen to to finish in the top six at the bare minimum, um, you know lends itself quite well to County going there and. Uh, you know, trying to to maybe turn the home crowd against the the Dons on on Saturday with perhaps a, a good start and an early goal. Well, County be raging that they're coming out in this game having not claimed all three points against Hearts. So that was a, I, I suppose it was a game that could have went either way, but it was a game they were well in. And given that Hearts are so 
secure in third place, despite you know not necessarily being amazing the last few months. It kind of shows you how strong county, you know, how how strong county have become over the course of the season, I suppose. Yeah, just their their confidence and assurance and and going about that game because ah, they missed multiple chances. They hit the post twice and uh, Craig Gordon had some unbelievable saves to keep them out. You have to mention obviously the the penalty which. Uh, you know, could have made things different in the other direction, but um, you know, I suppose depending on what happens this weekend, they may look at that game as being a missed opportunity, just purely down to the the number of chances that they they had against Hearts. But uh, I think the the way that they approached it will give Malky Micaiah, you know, a huge amount of kind of optimism going into this game at Petodre. Uh, just generally the consistency they've shown in in recent weeks as well. They had a couple of off days. They you know reasonably well beaten at Easter Road against Hibs. They they took a you know, reasonably heavy defeat at Parkhead against Celtic. But you know these are things that can can happen. And most importantly, they've not been allowed to to fester and become you know the the turning point that you know starts things rolling in the opposite direction. So. Um, yeah, no, it's it's set up for for, for uh, you know a fantastic contest on on Saturday and one that I'm you know greatly looking forward to to covering. You've won the raffle, Andy. You're the one, the lucky one out of us that is getting to go to this blockbuster, potentially decisive clash at the weekend. Obviously, results elsewhere could mean potentially that you know no matter what happens at Petodri, none of our teams get into the top six. But let's hope that doesn't happen because that would be a real damp squib for us. Uh, just We'll obviously have to go back to Aberdeen a little bit here. I say obviously. It's not obvious to you, but it's obvious to us. We've read the plan for this week's episode. Sophie, you've joined us to discuss Aberdeen Women's Scottish Cup exit at the weekend to Celtic. Sounded like they gave, gave it a good go. Was it their best performance against Celtic this season, would you say? Um, yeah, it, it was It was good in terms of the defence. When you look at like the chances that Celtic had, I think especially in the first half, they were all from like 20 yards out. They couldn't break down the back line, I think. Couldn't work the ball into the box and that's credit to Aberdeen. But in terms of going forward, I think, you know, Emma said they, they changed their shape and it, I don't think it necessarily worked in terms of attack. Um, I don't think Bailey Hutchison seen much of the ball, to be honest. She was playing pretty deep as well. And yeah, like I wrote in my, my match report, the two best chances that, that Aberdeen had was try to, uh, try to lob Rachel Johnston from, from deep within... Um, Celtics have so it, it was a good performance in terms of I think if it was in the league they'd come away with yeah probably their best their best shift against Celtic over the the several times they've played them this season but for a, for a cup game I think you know when you look that they took had a really good game against Celtic on the op- opening day of the season I think that was wrapped up on the 90th minute I think it was a penalty they led Celtic down an airdrie for 80 minutes down there, second game of the season, and at Balmoral it was three 0 still a decent enough game. So when you combine that, it was, it was all kind of setting up Aberdeen for you know magic of the cup. Can they kind of take something from this game? So I think they'll be left disappointed that they didn't they didn't do better. And I think when you look at the draw now, when Hearts and Partick Thistle have made it through to the semi-finals, that you know if they'd have been drawn against one of them, that they could have been in with a chance of actually reaching a final because those are two teams they've beaten this season so it was a decent performance but I think overall they'll they'll be disappointed the manner in the way that they've exited the cup and now kind of the chances that might have happened afterwards as well. Would it be a disappointment from here if they didn't finish fifth in the league given they've got four winnable games out of their remaining 
sixth. I know they've also got two against it's Glasgow City and Rangers, I believe. And obviously, if they can actually get one over one of those teams, as unlikely as that seems, that would be another sort of feather in their cap for this first campaign back in the top flight. But just on finishing fifth, is that are they looking like the front runners now? Yeah, I think they're definitely the front runners. I had had a wee look at um, Spartans fixtures, who, who are probably the ones that they're going to battle it out with. And I think Spartans have nine points that I can see them picking up, whereas uh, Aberdeen have 12. You know, one of them is against Hibs. They have beaten them already this season, and Hibs are in this kind of sticky patch just now where they pull off a good couple of results and then seem to have a couple of stinkers. But yeah, I think fifth is the target for them. And if they don't get it, I think they will be disappointed, especially within, you know, when they went on that five-game win and run, Emma Hunter and Gavin Beath started to speak about even pushing for fourth, which in their first season back in the top flight is quite impressive. So it definitely has to be the target. And yeah, they've got games against Hearts, Hearts and Partick Thistle at home. So they are two must-win games, I think, for them. Um, And the other is Motherwell, who, you know, the last beat 5-1 and then Hibs as well. So yeah, definitely fifth has to be the target. I think they will be disappointed now if they end up sixth after everything that's happened over the course of the season. You know, they've really come on quite a lot. But yeah, like you say, they've got, you know, two really tough games in Rangers and Glasgow City. But I think they've shown against Rangers that they can cope reasonably well, whether it was the occasion at Pataudry, you know, that, that spurred them on a wee bit. It was one of the best games I've seen them play in like all season. But against Glasgow City, They'll obviously go in with a result. They're a football club. They want to win every game they play. But for me, that just needs to be, it can't be a hammering. It can't be like last time, 10-1. Um, you know, we've spoke a lot this season that it's not often the most competitive league in terms of when the clubs below the top three play each, uh, play the top three. But that, for them, will be the most disappointing thing this season. Yeah. You know, they were in the mi- That's beyond the pale in terms of yeah. lack of Yeah, Especially when it when it happened, I think it was you know they were in the midst of this really good run. They were, it was the game I think after they just won five games in a row, and I think I remember even saying at the time that I think they could actually take something, whether it's a draw or like it's quite a close contest. I think they can do it. I remember saying that in the office to one of the photographers, and then you see the result that night. It's ten one. It did feel like it set them back a wee bit. So I think for them, and for outsiders looking in, that result against Glasgow City, Glasgow City needs to be one that's lower in numbers than than last time out i think yeah that photographer <laughs> must think he knows absolutely nothing uh, <laughs> anyway before we conclude this behemoth first section of northern goal possibly our our longest ever opening section of northern goal close to half an hour just to say that we won't be doing too much discussion of inverness we'll be doing next to no discussion of inverness this week given that paul chalk was on talking about the air united game coming up this weekend last week um, maybe that was bad planning on my part, but obviously Cali Thistle getting back to league action in their pursuit of second place and ide- the ideal um, sort of position to go into the playoffs from because it makes it a lot easier for them. Anyway, after the break, we'll discuss Cove's stuttering, potentially, League One challenge. Jamie shaking his head. Uh, Peter Head getting a great result at the weekend to move further away from danger and the chance to do so again this weekend and Elgin City as well Uh, what is there left to say about Elgin City this season Northern Goal is brought to you in association with Aberdeen Sports Village with memberships to suit all ages Aberdeen Sports Village is for everyone in the community 
I'm there all the time to interview athletes, play football on the indoor pitches, swim or use the gym. But you can also dive, choose from over 100 exercise classes, play racket sports, chill in the sauna and steam room, run on the athletics track and more. Achieve your goals at Aberdeen Sports Village. Search for Aberdeen Sports Village online for more information. Okay, Jamie. Cove at the weekend, a second draw in a row, but a second week in a row that their unbeaten run has been preserved by goals in the final, the dying embers of the game. This time it was against Queen's Park, the pitch obviously at Fur Hill, a mitigating factor. Your descriptions of the game didn't make it sound like it was one for the purists, but I mean, Cove, I know I joked about their stuttering season, but they've got to be happy that they're still. You know, they're still racking up the points no matter what, what happens and what's thrown in front of them over the course of 90 minutes. The key point is that they're still top of the table and they're still in control of their own destiny at the end of the day. They're not relying on favours from anybody else. And so the, the longer they're in that position, the games are getting less and less. There's only four four left to go now and Adrianians don't play them again. So Adrianians are relying on Cove making making errors and slip-ups. It, it has looked like in the last couple of weeks that they're they're going to drop points, but they've clawed their way into a game at the very very last minute. And this this weekend just gone against against Queens Park. It was the it was like the polar opposite of the the weekend before. They didn't play well, but the way the goal came against Queens against um, Edgeonians was stunning, out of this world. However you want to describe it, and the outpouring of emotion from that was understandable. But then they say the the State of the pitch at Fairhill didn't necessitate any form of football being played. I think I kind of just described it as the ball was just getting melted from point A to point B and probably needed hospital treatment afterwards. Um, but they, were, they just kind of, it's at that stage of the season and they're that kind of type of team where they will kind of just keep throwing, they'll just throw everything at it at the end of the game to try and make sure they get something out of it. And in the end, it's just a long throw in the box that gets flicked on and Leighton McIntosh gets above a crowd of players and gets something on the ball to turn it in. And ultimately, that's it gets them a point out of the game. It keeps this unbeaten run going. And who knows, how again, how important these kind of goals could be at the end of the season. They still have a pretty healthy goal difference as well. But it's the gap has obviously come down in the last couple of weeks from five points now to three. And there was probably a little bit of a psychological advantage for Adrianians knowing that they played on Saturday, they could cut the gap and then Cove would have to play on the Sunday. And Cove has still dug something out without playing well. Um, they are, I think it has to be said, they are on like this run of away games, the fourth away game in a row this weekend at Falkirk, um, who they beat well down there earlier in the season and Falkirk are in a free fall at the minute, I think it's fair to say. Um, so... I think Cove would definitely be confident kind of going into this weekend's game. I don't think that I don't think they kind of take any negatives at all from the last few weeks. I think the way the goals have come in the last minutes of games, it gives it probably gives more of a confidence boost than say if the if the roles were reversed and Cove were conceding late equalizers, then it may have a bit more of a deflating effect. But the fact that they're coming at the times they are and Cove are getting something out of games, it probably gives them more of a boost. Um it makes it feel like a win as the old cliche yeah. goes uh, Leighton McIntosh and Ola Adiemo you interviewed both of them I think in the aftermath of the game kind of bit part players in attack this season uh, Leighton McIntosh has featured a bit more 
than Adeyemo, correct me if I'm wrong. But um, do do we see either of them having a role at Cove next season in the fingers crossed championship? I think these sorts of decisions will probably be made in the coming weeks. I think the onus is on them to to maybe make make a case for themselves um, in these remaining games. The caveat that you've had to put this season is that Mitch Meganson and Rory McAllister, with the form they've been in, have been pretty much undroppable. I think they've got 40 goals between them in all competitions. It's going to be hard for either Lit McIntosh, uh, Ola Diemo. You look at someone like Jamie Masson, who's been a regular in seasons past that hasn't maybe started as many games as he would have liked this season. That it's hard to displace these guys. Like the onus, like the onus on these guys that are playing is to perform enough to keep the jersey, and they have been doing that. You've not had any excuse or reason to drop Mitch or Rory on current form. And Fraser Five, you look at the way he's been playing as well as a number 10, he's got 11 goals this season from, from midfield. It's Paul Hartley's not been given any reason to drop these guys. That's not a criticism of Leighton McIntosh or Ola Adeyemo. It's just that there's maybe not been the opportunity there because the team has been, and the individuals in those positions have been playing so well. Um, But you are going to need everyone in the squad at some point over the course of the season. Ola came in in September and it was his first start last weekend. And my my assumption as to why Paul Hartley went for him at the weekend to start was because of the state of the pitch and they wanted to be more physical and direct, which they said they'd worked on during the week. And Ola is a big guy. So they stuck him up front with Rory. Um, it maybe didn't fall for him the way he wanted, but he's contributed in that game. And the same with Leighton. Leighton has chipped in with a few important goals this season and none maybe more so than, than Saturday. Um, he was a regular last season, but in more of a wide role because of his, his pace and his ability to get at people. Um, it's maybe not been the opportunities there for him this season. He's been in and out of the team, but he's still come in and contributed when they've needed. And I think that's been the important facet for Cove this season, that they've not always had the same team week after week, but they've had individuals who would come in and kind of contribute and fit in seamlessly to what to what Paul Hartley wants them to do. I'm not sure we foresaw uh, Peterhead winning quite as emphatically at Clyde as they did at the weekend. 3-0 win. Grant Savory, I think, got two for them. And then they take on Dumbarton this weekend, which is a huge game for Peterhead because Dumbarton on the side below them. And, you know, should they win this, they, I would like to think, condemn Dumbarton to the relegation playoff spot and they can go free and spend the rest of the season trying to reel in the teams above them in the table. Is that how you see it, Jamie? It's to be the move from the players, certainly. Um, I spoke to Rico Kitongo and Brett Long this week, and the last couple of games that they've had has certainly lifted the mood around the place. Um, Jim McAnally, obviously the manager, has kind of remained quite quite positive throughout it, but it's understandably probably took an effect on the players because they weren't getting the results that they felt they, they deserved. But going to, sorry, beating Falkirk 1-0 at home and then going away to Clyde and winning as emphatically as they did, it has to lift morale. Um, and the fact that they're, they're now only two points behind Alloa and Clyde above them and they are quite capable of reeling them in over the remaining four games. Um, you're right to point out and say that this this weekend is, is an important fixture because Dumbarton, they are clear of the automatic relegation spot at the East Fife for seven points adrift and I think they're gone. Dumbarton are four points behind Peterhead with four to play. If Dumbarton are going to stand any chance of avoiding the relegation playoffs, they need to win. 
on Saturday, as simple as that. If Peterhead maintain or extend that gap, I think Peterhead will be a League One team guaranteed for next season. Obviously, they probably won't treat it as that until it's mathematically secure. But I think it's I think it's win or bust. I think this weekend for Dumbarton because if they if they get beat or they draw, I think they're not going to go down automatically. But then I don't think they'll get enough points on Peterhead to to claw themselves away from uh, from ninth place. Um, it's it's I think Peterhead have made a habit of maybe finding this form at this stage of the season because I think they were in a sort of similar position last year where they, and funnily enough Falkirk was one of the results they dug out at the end of last season to kind of keep themselves safe and they've obviously done it again done it again this year um, and for the management and the hierarchy at the club the survival was the ultimate goal and if they can if they can do that with a transitioned team to a more youthful energetic style that's maybe a little bit light on experience apart from one or two individuals um, but high on kind of potential and work rate then I think they would definitely definitely take that there's maybe a view from the players that they have underachieved given that quite a few of them wanted to aim for the for the playoffs this season but I think if you look if you look at the performances against the teams up there there has tended to be a little bit of a of a gap like Montrose or I can't think of the barometer for most kind of part-time teams as to the kind of consistency that's required and how kind of settled their squad has been over a number of years. But then you look at like Queen's Park, Adrianians and Cove, they've maybe got the more of the financial backing there that they can go and strengthen their squads to a level that's maybe a bit beyond Peterhead at the minute. And you look at the difference in experience in those kind of three teams and Peterhead, it's maybe a little bit unrealistic to to say that they should have been a playoff team this season. But you can understand why players would want to be ambitious and, and aim high. I think if they finish the season on a high, they're well it's well within the reach to finish sixth or seventh. Um, then I think they would take kind of some positives into next season and whatever rebuilt or whatever kind of the squad looks like for next season, I'm sure they'll be able to start next season with a little bit of confidence. Team we've talked about in similar terms as a team that perhaps have been overtaken by rivals of bigger budgets in recent seasons, Elgin City, Andy. I don't think we could blame budgets entirely for their performance over the course of this season but uh, at the weekend their 0-0 draw with Albion Rovers meant that they're basically mathematically safe Cowdenbeath I think can still catch them but things have to go flawlessly for Cowdenbeath the rest of the season and it has to be an utter disaster for Elgin I don't think Elgin can pick up another point if that scenario is going to come past so it's all good for Elgin but I suppose in typically underwhelming fashion, given how this campaign has gone for them, a nil-nil bore draw to sort of to put the tin lid on it a little bit. And now they really, I suppose, can be on the beach, as we've said about them in recent weeks enough this season. But yeah, uh, not exactly a glittering success over the course of the campaign for the Borough Briggs team. No, no, it's um, it, it has been a disappointing season. Um, and, you know, I... It's it's kind of difficult to to sort of share Jamie's same enthusiasm about Peterhead when it comes to uh, you, you know the the impact of finishing the season strongly and what effect that could have on next season because you know I think either way Elgin not being in contention for the playoffs which they're not going to be is going to be viewed as a, a disappointment so you know the difference between finishing sixth and ninth uh, I mean there's four points in it just now but. I, I really don't think there's going to be a huge uh, celebration uh, I, or cause for disappointment either way. I think the the damage has been kind of done. But um, 
they are building a wee bit of momentum in terms of their form towards the end of the season. I know they didn't win on Saturday, but I think it's one defeat in six and there's been three clean sheets on the bounce, which has been quite encouraging. Uh, played a couple of strong sides in that run as well. So, you know, with the likes of Daryl McCarty and Ewan Spark as defe- experienced defenders being sidelined, um, you know, they'll be quite pleased with the defensive side of things. Um, young Kane O'Connor, uh, a young player that they signed in January, has come into the side and been a part of that back line. So, yeah, just little things that Gavin Price will be looking to try and, uh, you know, build with a view to next season. But, uh, yeah, I suppose it's it's just about trying to, to finish the season on some sort of unbeaten run. I don't think they'll be getting too worried about league positions as such, but um, if they can, you know, give themselves the, the foundations for... Um, a bit of a, a fresh start in the summer then uh, it's as good as they can hope for at this stage So Northern goal this week much like Elgin started with such you know such vigour such vim such energy and goes out with a whimper anyway I'll take that as a compliment Ryan yeah it was all you Paul once you <laughs> once you cut out it was you know it was all downhill from there anyway thanks to the four of you for joining me today cheers guys no problem. Thank you. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, as always, you can like and subscribe in your favourite podcast app. You can email us if email's your thing at northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. And finally, enjoy the football, especially the big Aberdeen Ross County tussle at Vitaudry or whatever game you're watching this weekend. Cheers. Hope you loved the episode. And if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.